Meat for tea is the ticket, a buffet of the sublime, the valleys and beyond avant-garde review, a cirque of word and visual art, film and music performance served up by impresario Elizabeth McDuffie and Sone Lab's sound guru Mark Allen Miller putting a crisp five-star multimedia cool out there. And who, I ask you, wouldn't want a piece of that? The Meat for Tea cast is brought to you in part by Sone Lab, a recording studio in East Hampton, Massachusetts. Offering recording, mixing, and mastering of all styles of music, we even master podcasts. Email info at sonelab.com for more information. That's info at S-O-N-E-L-A-B. That's the record button. Have we started? We have started. So, this is the Meat for Tea cast. We might always start like that. Who knows? Hello, everyone. Merry Christmas. That's right. Or Happy whatever, Festivus. Whatever you happen to celebrate. Right, you old tidings. Exactly. Happy Kwanzaa. Mm-hmm. Happy, Happy Hanukkah. That already happened. Hanukkah. Hope your Hanukkah was great. Yes, there we go. That's what we say. And anything else we missed, whatever. It's <laughs> Happy holidays to everybody. We hope you're having a wonderful day, however you choose to celebrate or not. Not celebrating could be relaxing too. So welcome to season three, episode eight. Eight. Yep. Done so many. And we are bringing you audio from an amazing Cirque, the Cirque de Noël, seasonally appropriate. Yeah, and that was December of 2019. 2019. So if you do the math, there was actually only one Cirque after that. Before we did the four virtual ones, if you haven't checked those out, you can go onto our Facebook page and they're there in the videos. You might be wondering whose voices you're listening to. I'm Elizabeth McDuffie and you're not. <laughs> I am not. That's true. I am Mark Allen Miller. I think we said that in the intros. We didn't. Yeah. We just said Merry Christmas. No, I mean in the intros. In the intro intro. Oh, in the very first intros. That's true. But, well, just yeah, in case. I'll leave them out. You missed it. I do that quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do some housekeeping? Housekeeping. Yeah. So if you don't already follow the Meat for Tea Facebook page... You should. It's fun. I have things like the quote of the day and the word of the day every now and again. And you could follow the Meat for Tea cast Facebook page. Sometimes I have people write six word stories and we keep you abreast of the new episodes. Mm-hmm. And I would like to say that if you like what you hear, first thing you can do is tell a friend. That's probably the number one thing you can do. Tell all of your friends, yeah. anybody, not just one. Anybody who remotely wants to hear your information. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and I think on Spotify now. Now Spotify has ratings set up. So please, 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 in Spotify, give us that five-star rating with a little bit of writing. Again, if we like your review, we read it on the podcast. Yep. So, so write something cool. And subscribe on your favorite podcatcher if you can't rate and review at least subscribing makes them know that hey people like this that's right also you can follow meat for tea on twitter at elizabeth and on instagram that's just at meat for tea 
Also, if you want to support us, there's a number of really fun ways you can do it. Merch. You can go to our Meet for Tea merch page, which is meet-for-tea.creator-spring.com. I'm pretty sure it'll be in the show notes. It's also right on the Meet for Tea webpage. Yep. We've got everything there for your convenience. Click the t-shirt icon and it'll take you where all our, our hard goodies are. There are pint glasses. Mugs and... T-shirts. Hoodies and... Socks. Yep. Coffee mugs. Everything uh, cool. We said that. Let's see. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff. So much coolness. <laughs> You'll find Tote something. bags. Tote bags. Right. If you celebrate Twelfth Night, and I hope you do, it's on the 12th day of Christmas. It's fun. Give your special someone a couple of issues of meat for tea in a meat for tea tote. Yeah. With a mug. And you can Maybe get, some tea. You can get those issues at meatfortea.com forward slash buy dot htm. If you're local, you can get them at Broadside Books, at White Square Books, at Mystery Train Records. Glad to be back there. At Wedgeworks, at Hastings, and at Amherst Books, and at Holy Moly's. Did we say Book Moon? And at Book Moon. Yeah. That's a whole bunch. You got so lots there. of choices to shop local. Go to our website also if you would prefer a digital version because we have PDFs there and they're actually very, very affordable. You can get basically almost three for the price of one print copy. So if you really want to get a whole bunch of pages in front of you, that's a good way to do it. You might be snowed in with icy roads today. So grab a couple PDFs today so you've got something to do. So we had a illustrious robust lineup of readers at the Cirque de Noel. Yeah, it was really good. I've already edited that part. In order, they are David Miller, Dina Friedman, Peter Erkowitz, Jacob Chapman, Gerald Yell, and Richard Wayne Horton. And we had great music that night too, so after you hear the spoken word section coming up shortly, stick around for music from December Boy appropriate uh, time of year for seasonally appropriate like Cirque du Noel December Boy this is just right on time and also a bunch of selections from the set that the Feldens did and they rocked it out both really 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 actually I'm really happy with how these recordings turned out because the live recordings are always a little bit hit and miss lots of variables lots of people it's hard to tell if it's going to come out great or not I think these came out great sonically as well as their performances so it's really worth sticking around for those so I think that's it, right? Should yeah. we get to it? Get Enjoy. To All right. Here comes the readers from Le Cirque, Cirque de Noël. Okay, word nerds. Are you ready for some spoken word? A mixed bag of poetry and prose and, I don't know, maybe some of that lies in between. It's starting... Now, my brother-in-law, David Miller. Hi, everybody. Hey, thanks for, all, thanks for being here, and, and thank, thank you for getting yourselves into this room, you know. <laughs> so I've got three poems. Uh, one of them is pretty short. So the first poem is titled, Our Ideas. They ask my surrealist wife, Where do you get your ideas? One eyeball, an erratic berg in a Stygian ocean. 
or a mummified birdie's body dissolved to branchlets, slinging a hobo pack, riding a red donut through an Egyptian waist. Her worlds rise into oil or etching, glued painted shardwood, sculpy clayheads, pixels numbered as sand grains in her deserts. Disgruntled rain droplets in a horde scowls askew. But she and I, we don't go anywhere to fetch ideas. Or I did go just now with my steampunk ballpoint, its sand glass in brass, was back outside to the blue webbed chair. Thought of her and me before pond sunset reflected to the underside of leaves, a hundred or so, trembling fractioned mirror above modest water. Locust trees the other side of our street shimmer new yellow all over the car hoods, all through triangles framed by the Alanthus. Wind in the locusts that side the street, now breeze quavers this side. In my middle distance, Cottonwood treetops, continuous pixelation. Unfocus your sight to the glitter of that, the pale blue vacancies behind, filling and voiding. Thanks. The next one, um, it's short, but it does need a bit of an intro. Does anybody, is anybody here familiar with the term uh, uh, golden shovel as a poetic form? Yeah. But mostly not, which is not surprising. It's not a well-known term. So let me just quickly explain it. With a golden shovel, you have a source text, like a, a line from another poem, or maybe a, a line from a, a song lyric. And with that source text, you, you take each word of your, of your source, and you make it the last word of each line of the poem as it goes, okay? So if you've got roses are red, You've got a three-line poem. First line ends in, in roses, second in red, and so on. So you see how that works? Okay. So um, that's a long intro for a short poem. The, uh, the source text for this is the line from um, the Talking Head song, Once in a Lifetime, which is, and you may say to yourself, my God, what have I done? Um, and the words are all in there. The end of that... And both you and I may end before we say, bind our shaken hearts to this whole staring disaster. Shroud yourself, my personal God. Blanch for what your deep devoted have torched for your nostrils. I strip away your shadow. I'm done. Thanks. And uh, now we'll end on something a little bit more affirmative. Uh, and is, is Jenny here, Gerald? Yep, good, there she is, because she's in this one. All right. Um, this is family stuff, family and friends material. It's titled Pictures and Papers. The rouse of old family papers turns over like earth in winter. Fingertips spade inside a packing box revive this photograph, resorted to the surface of artifact. My mother, my aunt, as little girls in the thick of their music. Mother braces a book of carols beneath her arm, mouth open in Noel. Aunt Marilyn, in pigtails, round glasses, hands to the piano, sings with mighty concentration, left hand caught in blur. 
Let's guess this is 1940. Merry Christmas, declares the small square print. My grandfather, his tuneful daughter's photographer, scattered this survivor across eight decades. This lonely piece of paper. I could grin, return it dormant to its box. I could bring it forward in season for other startled eyes, resistless smiles. Here are two unsuspected paper plates, church supper props with pencil scribbles front and back. They rise to hand like potsherds to the archaeologist. A fluke-emerged snapshot brings me a poet reading from a paper plate, Stanley Kohler, past master of the impromptu. His spontaneous potluck ode to my parents ready to lift off, become Floridian. His children, refound high school compadres, now see pictures of his fugitive manuscripts in the round. None of us can phone a parent to share this. Hands to the shuffled and packed down, voice for the uncovered, eyes to the forgotten. My life requires me. Thank you. <laughs> And next is Dina Friedman. Yay. Hi. So I'm also going to read three short poems. I'm going to read one from Shameless Self-Promotion, my chapbook, which is not called Shameless Self-Promotion. It's called, it's called Wolf in the Suitcase. And then I'm going to read the two um, that are in this Meat for Tea um, edition. So the first one is called Letter to God from Florida. Thank you for the crab scuttling to the ocean's edge, for creating edges and the concept of edgy, for days without the happy magenta hue of the F train and the people on the platform playing angry birds. Thank you for pelicans and the electronic New York Times antidote to neighbors' newsprint flapping in our faces. Thank you for pouches, speedos, bikinis bearing our skin to the balmy air, for atheism and words without the letter E, and for Scrabble, especially the Z, for orchestras and rabbits, but next time get the brass in tune. For the moon goddesses dictate to kowtow, Thanks a lot for our daily chow, for alligators, and those microscopic nits I picked for days out of my daughter's hair. Seriously, thank you for the concept of infinity, and this nitty vacation sand shifting hot as I dig my elbows down, raise my sacred torso, stand to face the foam. And actually, I met Elizabeth at a Right Angles workshop on ekphrastic poetry. Maybe, but that's when I were, I met her again. I connected with her. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I guess we probably at some some event somewhere. But anyway, this is this like never happens. But um, so we were doing these. For those of you who don't know, ekphrastic poetry 
is poems that are in response to art. So it seems very appropriate for this beautiful space with all this amazing art. And so there were pictures, and we had three paintings, and we did some free rights, and then at the end, everybody said, who wants to read what? And, and Elizabeth said, if you send me that poem, I'll publish it. And that never happens to me. So um, anyway, so I did revise it and work on it before I sent it, because I'm like that. Um, but, but the poem is called The Last Thanks, and it's after a painting by the same name by Wendy Redstar. So you can look that up. See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, keep the forks over your eyes. Yes, you can see through the tines. Yes, sometimes stains on the points, leftover wonder bread, if you ate wonder bread with a fork. But why not? We're already in the surreal, 10 skeletons at the table with forks over their eyes. Why not forked Wonder Bread, forked corned beef hash, forked canned beans, forked oatmeal cream pies? Where does the food go after it passes through the skeleton's mouth? Is that why the artist cuts a line of red check table at the ribs? No need to show chew going gliding down pelvic bones. Why are the skeletons wearing construction paper headdresses? What is the red tongue-like thing between Mr. Potato Head's ears? Or is it a tear? See no evil. The skeleton on the far right holds its forks by its teeth. An oh my gosh moment. Oh my gosh, that girl in the center who looks shellacked like a porcelain doll, the food daintily arranged on the plate in front of her. Eat no evil. Craft cheese slices in plastic wrap, bologna, a yellow tub of margarine, a can of mixed fruit, assimilated, a can opener, no fork. She is holding only feathers. And this last one I sent because this was this theme was Bard, and this is my apology poem to Wallace Stevens, commentary on the time um, called 13 Ways of Looking. One, among 20,000 terrors, the only moving target, his toady mouth. Two, I was of three thoughts, to tattoo my torso with profanity, to lament for the lost legs of my country, to bed down in a bubble of trees where blackbirds still are trilling. Three, the orange fowl parades his plumage through false promises of heaven, part of the pantomime. Four, a sad cloud and an acid cloud are one, a crowd of thousands marching are one. Five, I do not know which to fear more, the lie of presumption or the lie of bravado, the orange fowl tweeting or the aftermath. Six, ice flows crack at the poles, unbelievers 
crossing claim it's all a hoax, a barbaric plot. God loves us. The sea continues to rise, an indisputable cause. Seven. Oh, thin men of Washington, why are you chasing golden tickets only to fall into the chocolate river of lies? Do you not see your own bodies engulfed, the devil walking among you? Eight. I know patriotic palaver and shiny, inescapable euphemisms, but I know, too, that he chooses his words to obscure what I know. Nine, when he put his talons on her and her and her, it should have marked the moral edge. Instead, the eagle flew out of sight. 10, at the sight of the mean swing, his belly bulging under the white golf shirt, even the bods cried. 11, 2,000 lies pierce the American dream. We mistake his face for a sky jammed with crows. 12. The women are marching. The athletes are kneeling, all in the name of home. 13. It is midnight in the afternoon. We wait for heaven or a perfect, irrefutable storm. The world sits petrified in a cacophony of scavengers. Thank you. And this is Peter Erkowitz. Thank you, Dina. That was awesome. I've got two poems. I, do I have time to read both of them? Yes. Thank you very much. Of it's a pleasure to be here. This one's called The Library of Atlantis. The library is fish now, patterns, broken patterns, talking parrotfish, dancing damselfish, patterns, broken patterns. We had literature from all nations, cuneiforms pressed into clay tablets, hieroglyphics carved on stone, sacred dogmas inked on sheepskin scrolls, Runes beaten into the metal of sword blades, ideograms on fine papyrus, porcelain tesserae forming mosaic tableau. But when the deluge came, we found that nothing held up that well in salt brine, in constant pounding currents, stones crusted over with algae and barnacles. Even the microfilm collection was inaccessible. None of the readers worked underwater. So we taught the fish to talk to remember the stories, to teach their spawn to sing. That worked for a while. They could speak in their bubbly, squeaky-voiced way, but they didn't really enjoy it. They started looking for shortcuts to just get it over with. The fish would skip over our favorite parts if they were too wordy. Our literature was shrinking after generations of scaly editors and redactors had their way with it. We saw they didn't love to sing, but they did love dancing. So to preserve the stories, we grew the coral in fields of poetry, epic sagas over the seafloor ridges, circular mazes of stunning regularity that the fish would follow in a rotating gyre, and then we broke the patterns, just so, 
just where it mattered, just where it meant something. And the dance told the story. The Code of Hammurabi forms a stately roundelay, and the Epic of Gilgamesh is a kinetic waltz, while the Iliad and the Odyssey have an individualistic choreography. The body language of the Mahabharata is sprightly and complex, and Deuteronomy is harsh and stern and regimented, but you can catch a hint of humor in the flash of fins and gills going by if you take the time to look deeply and the light is right. So that's how it still works today. You want to read a book? You consult the card catalog, which is a team of learned sea turtles and dolphins. They carry you out to the right field of coral where the fish are dancing a broken pattern. Thanks. <laughs> this one is uh, called Zeno Tells Arrow. So, half a thousand years ago, in the Swiss canton of Uri, halfway to Altdorf, half the people were suffering under the tyranny of the Habsburg Empire. The Dukes of Habsburg had sent their envoy, Albrecht Gessler, and he ruled with a silver scepter, taxing the canton half of every transaction. He had pledged fealty to his lords with only half his heart. His soldiers loaded their cannons with depleted uranium shells, but their half-life was only half over, and half the cattle were falling ill, and half the fields were failing. Until one day on the road from Altdorf, he had started on a journey of half a thousand miles with just half a step, when Gessler and his retinue were blocked by the great crossbowman, Zeno Tell, and his son, Walter. Zeno demanded that Gessler and his men leave the canton, leave Switzerland entirely. Gessler laughed at Tell's impertinence and said, I've heard tell of you, Tell, but I don't believe the stories. I don't believe you are as good as they say. I don't believe you have the stones to back up your bravado. But if you're really the best, Prove it to me by shooting an apple off your son's head at a distance of half a hundred yards. I say, you can't do it. And there is a logical paradox that will defeat you if you try. Zenotel accepted the challenge and had Walter stand against a tree and assured him that if his hand shook, if Walter were killed, then Gessler would be the target of the next crossbow bolt. Walter had seen his dad shoot harder targets, half a dozen times at least. So he wasn't worried. But he was tired of dealing with his old man's quirks. Let's just get it over with, Walter muttered as he took his place. Zenotel took careful aim, and his finger tightened on the trigger, and he released the shot. The bolt made it halfway across the distance, and half that again and half that again, and it still had an infinite number of halves to cross, and calculus hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> it was losing steam and losing interest. Walter, waiting at the tree, got bored, got hungry, took the apple down and munched on it. He ate half the apple, and then half of what was left, and then half of that. The apple was dwindling, but there was always a little more left an infinite number of little moors. He put it back on his head. The nation of Switzerland, hundreds of years later, 
marks time from that moment, from that infinite regression of ever smaller moments. They tell the story of how their people began, but never of how the story ended. It's still only halfway done. Thank you so much. Next, please welcome Jacob. Everyone, I'm Jacob Chapman. I'm going to read three poems. One of us. He returned from his journeys with a new alphabet to show us. Gifts for everyone and the bad news that he was being followed for stealing some cows. How was he supposed to know that they were sacred cows? One died before he could give it back. He returned the rest, but it didn't matter. He wasn't forgiven, so he ran. He learned how to use disguises, and he faked his own death twice. But still he was pursued by a man whose face he had only seen from a distance. After a few months, he ran out of energy and returned home, where he was always considered a bit off, charming at times, but restless and a bit off. What can we do to protect him? We're working on it. Whatever his failings, he's one of us. What am I missing? In my travels, I was stabbed and woke up with tubes coming out of my abdomen, which, were covered, which was covered with scars. The doctors tried to explain the situation, but my grasp of their language was tenuous at best. One night, the nurses huddled around the radio, and the news, whatever it was, was bad. The nurses were quiet, and one grabbed her bag and ran away. The next day, there was one doctor. The day after that, no doctors. I was feeling pretty good, so I slipped out of the hospital and out of the country, not that anyone was trying to stop me. I burned my papers after I crossed the border. I made my way home, and today, I met with a doctor and asked him what organs, if any, I was missing. He looked so tired. He sighed and asked if I was feeling okay. I told him I felt great. And he said, in that case, it doesn't matter. He told me to stay sober and try to avoid a pre-war mentality. I started to ask him which war he was talking about, but I could tell he was busy. So I said thanks and extended my hand. He looked at it in a curious way. Then he shook it reluctantly. I suddenly remembered that we had stopped shaking hands in our country years ago, and I had picked up the habit in my travels. Sometimes I get the feeling that I've spread myself a little thin. Thanks. This last one is the consulate. For some reason, the consulate of a small country has stayed open in our city. All the other consulates left as our city became less and less important. The people from the consulate walk around the city taking notes. No one trusts them, but they're very friendly. They love our tea, which we couldn't do without, and our music, which I find boring. 
They say they value its simplicity. Foreigners are rarely allowed into their country, which is frozen much of the year. Their great hall of records and patterns is said to be enormous, and they have more consulates than any other country on earth. They have no military and don't seem to have a lot of money, but they have more than us. Right now, our city is full of disdain for the new century and all its losses, but our past centuries weren't that great either. Everyone points to the future and everything it may bring. The strange people from the consulate have watched hundreds of countries rise and fall and change in different ways. I asked one of them to tell me our future, and he said, your future will be interesting, but you won't see it coming. Thanks a lot. Next up, Gerald, Gerald Yell. Thanks, Elizabeth, for doing this all over and over again. I'm going to read two, uh, two pieces. This one's called Room. Feels like there should be more people in the room. Maybe it's the heat. Uh, maybe they're home in the shade and expect us to understand. Maybe mirrors reflect their feelings of being hot and doors slam open and shut over it like noisy swimmers floating and flailing, like open and closing circular tanks and putting on trunks and playing cribbage, croquet, and other quaint games that so few sign up for. But then pastimes popular once don't always come round again, and the well runs dry, and you look for the crack in the wall that leads to another world, as if you could go there. Call it quits. Live life all at once with no repetition. No repeat Thursday to go with two for Tuesday. And where do we get off Wednesday? Why thank God it's Friday when friends go their separate ways. They don't say where, they seldom bother to call. Reaching out is one thing, but I think they reach back. Basking in blankets and infectious blank stares. Writing Hollywood histories that make us look foolish. If we had subtitles, it would be one thing. At least it would be fair. It might be fanciful and fancy, open and affirming. It might be zealous and optimistic, credulous and dirty. It might open us up to a world of opportunity, people wandering in and out, bringing food and clues and drums. We'd organize the lives of everyone around, then send them on their way to look for uncommon sense. When they finally find it and give a whiff, it'll seem too soon. Thank you. This one's called Policy. Every day after that was a gift. No other way to say it. Where there were belligerent people in the past, now there were none. In their place were empty chairs. A void filled with silence. The silence made us sneeze. The order of the day finally came and called for long words. Why all the extra syllables? Why the current regime? It seems the bossy Gillises didn't go away after all. They just moved to the top of the food chain. Now they make policy. So go ahead and use your nuke. Every day's a gift anyway. Did your pencil break? Is your planet too wet, too dry, too hot, too cold? Don't worry, we're only here for a little while. Afterwards, you can talk about your accident. 
You can take us to task if we forget to remind you. You probably won't want to stick around too long anyway. Close the door and make things even quieter, removing a major source of income in the process. Anyway, it's good to be flexible, open to suggestion, especially left field impressions. We don't do anything terribly difficult, so it wouldn't be hard to catch up should you wish to return. Either way, the policy sits there waiting to be followed, and we pretend to believe in it. We pretend to respect it. Pretending to like it would be too hard to swallow. Still, every day is a gift, and we have to go up to the policy and bow down to it. We take time to go over the policy, make sure everyone understands, even if they don't memorize it, though some do, especially the part about stability being the source of the gift. We learn it word for word. One could recite it backwards standing on her head. Another one could write it in two different languages, though he couldn't pronounce a single word of it. Someday we'll build a new wall to display the policy more prominently. Maybe hang it from a lanyard. Maybe we'll put a whistle near it and assign a different person every day to blow it every time someone approaches the policy without seeming to notice. <laughs> hey, thanks. The next reader here, and I, probably the last, right, is Richard Wayne Horton. Give it up. This is called Escape Plan. At the Casa de Cultura in Bogota, mountain village dancers made vertical tight movements. The dancers were short and dark like my wife, Paco's sister. A flute and some guitars spent the music wisely. After that came the play. Smart young Marxist students crisply executed the roles, their movements perfect, the dialogue clear. I laughed at the ironies, which I could only half understand. Paco told me next month's play was going to be about Colombian soldiers in the Korean War. Holy smokes, why were they in Korea? To be sacrificial victims so Colombia could get better trade with the U.S. Hey, don't worry. It wasn't you, brother. Come with me, I'll take you to the posters. I felt small and crappy collecting political posters, but this was only four years after Allende's overthrow. Chile Libre posters might have gotten smuggled up here even as President Allende, with his intellectual glasses, stomped around his besieged palace with an AK-47 in his hand. Paco led me through a hallway to the foyer and back, where a table held posters. Men stood around talking and laughing. I noticed most of them wore light-colored blazers like Paco's, like Paco, the socialist look, maybe. One poster showed a yellow and gray montage of scenes from the Cuban Revolution arranged in the shape of an eagle. Uh, Okay. Paco whistled and his friend Geraldo came over smiling. A handshake for the Yank brother-in-law. Paco said, show him. Geraldo checked over his shoulder, then opened his sports coat. There were folded up posters in the inside pocket, one of which he took out and spread on the table. 
It was a real beauty. A pretty Chilean girl in early 70s hippie jeans stood smiling in front of the famous stadium, later used by Pinochet as a holding pen for poets and guitar players waiting to be disappeared. The caption read, Ayanar el Estadio Nacional. I, I thought I heard someone say, I'd like to unar her Estadio Nacional. I hope that's not what he said. Five years later, divorced, I would write in my journal, I still have it. Excuse the tack holes. Shoot me, will you? Because we hoped in logic and were poets, the soldiers easily found us. But I was different. I would escape. I fell into the river like the others, believing that my plan would keep the bullet in my back from meaning death. I told the blood to wait a moment, por favor, till I could reach the bank at a certain predetermined point. But the river was slow, clogged as it was, with excellent plans of escape. The feeling of urgency passed, and I accepted some of the things the river was saying. It unfolded scene after scene in an ironic pageant drenched with life. See? See? At sunset, I came to a shore where a priest was pulling out corpses. We twisted in the water as if trying to get away, trying to remain atheist. But he caught us, his arms full of unexpected strength. His eyes, though manly, were full of tears. I tried without success to critique the church's eternal compromises and dirty deals as he laid us on the bank in rows where we gazed stupidly at the sky, docile students for now. This was all I needed, back to parochial school as a corpse. The time to speak has come. I will not be silent. I must be alive. Otherwise, how can I contemplate resistance? I'll signal to the priest soon if the peace that has overtaken my heart will permit the gesture. Meanwhile, meanwhile, And we'll be back in just a moment. And welcome back. Shit. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hello. Thank you for being here. This feels yes. really good. Thank you. Thank you, Walrus. Thank you, everyone.
so much.
so much. Where I'll take my fire. 
Guayaquil.
Sorry, yeah, right.
thank you again for being here. I love each and every one of you. Thank you for being in this room. You're all awesome. Stick around for the Feldins. They're, they're really a great band. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm told that the house is ready. I'm told that some of you people are ready. I think there's some people out in the hall who don't think they're ready. I need you to make a big, big noise so that the people out there know that they need to be in here. Big noise. Here we go. Cry your eyes out over me. Can't you see? Can't you see? All the things they say are true. I've been mean to you. I don't.
All right. Kick us off, Riley. Kiss me, kiss me, kiss 
Awesome. Aren't you glad you're still here so you didn't miss any one of those hot licks? <laughs> hot licks. <laughs> There's so many hot licks. The horn section had hot licks. So many hot licks. No, that was good stuff. That was good stuff. We appreciate you sticking around to the end of this episode of the Meat for Tea cast. I don't know if we have anything else we need to address for you all this time around. Just hope your rest of December and 2022 is healthy and safe and wonderful. Yeah, I was actually thinking, stay safe, stay healthy, be careful, people. It could be weird for a little while. Or if you're hearing this in 2023, uh, drop us a note and tell us how you think it went. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks so much for joining us on the Meat for Tea cast, and we will see you in a couple weeks. Bye-bye. The Meat for Tea cast is produced by Elizabeth McDuffie and Meat for Tea, The Valley Review. Mixed by Mark Allen Miller at Sewn Lab, East Hampton, Massachusetts. Visit Meat for Tea at www.meatfortea.com. Please consider going to anchor.fm to make a contribution through our contribution page. You can reach us through meatforteacast at gmail.com or you can leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash meetforteacast. 
We welcome suggestions for contents for the Meat for Tea cast. If you've attended a Meat for Tea Cirque and want to hear from one of the bands or one of the spoken word contributors, please let us know. All portions are copyright Meat for Tea and their respective holders. Vote for Meat for Tea on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter at Elizabeth, Meat for Tea on Instagram, and on the Meat for Tea and Meat for Tea cast Facebook pages. Meat for Tea is available everywhere you get your favorite podcasts. <laughs>